Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have the pleasure of speaking with Philip Verloy, technical evangelist at No Name Security, and he engages and advises customers, partners, and the security industry at large, sharing his experience, insights, and strategies on API security. And prior to joining No Name Security, Philip was the field CTO for EMEA at Zero Trust Data Management Startup Rubric. He also has previously served at various IT vendors, including Citrix, Dell, Riverbed, and VMware, in roles ranging from architect to solutions executive, supporting some of the largest and most complex customer environments. We discuss the difference between IT infrastructure API usage and business API usage, some of the challenges associated with cybersecurity, and the link between API security and ransomware. Let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Philip. How are you today? I'm very well, Demetrius. Thank you for, uh, for having me. Yeah, and absolutely. It is definitely a pleasure to have an old friend and colleague on. I am really curious about where you are now, where you've landed. And uh, why don't you just maybe start off and give us some information about No Name Security and also share any details about yourself and expertise that uh, you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of, as you said, getting getting reacquainted. Uh, we were both ex-colleagues at, uh, at Rubrik before. I recently joined another startup uh, called No Name Security. We focus specifically on API security within the broader security field, you could say, because we felt that that's uh, really an underserved part of the market. Maybe also a little bit of a misunderstood part of the market, I should say. Um, so we we specifically went after that. As I said, it's a startup. We were founded in 2020. We came out of stealth in December of 2020, uh, VC-backed. We recently raised our C round, valued just over a billion dollars uh, these days. My role at the company is sort of uh, twofold, you could say. So on the one hand, I'm the technical evangelist. So I do things like this. I record, you know, podcasts. I do video interviews, a lot of webinars, a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of uh, CISO dinners. And on the other side, I'm uh, also responsible for the technical channel in EMEA. So I'm making sure that uh, our channel is enabled and is able to resell or talk about our our platform in front of their customers. Awesome. And I, I guess since I am hungry right now at the moment, one thing that stood out in that conversation were CISO dinners. <laughs> I, is, is it true that, that you gain a couple of pounds, especially when you're in a, in a very visible role and you get to travel and attend a lot of meetings and you, you get to uh, eat you know, all of this, this great food when you're out? Is, is that true? Oh, man, that's probably like uh, the, worst, the worst part of being in a job like this is uh, attending all of those dinners, all of those drinks with partners and prospects and customers and 
yeah, yeah. It's there's never an excuse not to uh, not to enjoy a good dinner, and yeah, it's 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 not a healthy position to be in for sure. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's fun for me after the first night, and you 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 have to learn how to pace yourself and like, okay, I'm only going to have one drink because you definitely don't want to overdo it, especially with the drinks and the food. For sure, for sure. But the travel aspect of it, you know, I was recently at a conference a couple of weeks ago and there were well over 10,000 people. And I think I was the only person wearing a mask. And uh, because, you know, COVID just you know kind of made me a little leery of being around that many people. But it's definitely, you know, good to be back traveling and also to be, you know, back at conferences and having these conversations with thought leaders and influencers. Uh, such as yourself, especially, you know, since we're doing this virtually now. But let's let's jump into APIs and, you know, something that that you mentioned around API security. I, I want to get your perspective uh-huh. around, you know, API usage. And, you know, obviously it's increasing, especially over the last couple of years. And it's showing no sign of of slowing down. So how do you feel about the increase around API usage? Yeah, so so I think if we sort of go back to 2011, which was when Mark Andreessen of uh, you know Andreessen Horowitz uh, VC fame these days wrote a, a seminal piece in the Wall Street Journal called "Why Software Is Eating the World." Mm-hmm. If you looked at the top ten Fortune top ten companies at that point, like there was no company there that was only doing software. It was mostly manufacturing companies, uh, banks, and so on. Uh, and these days, the vast majority of the Fortune Top 10 companies are actually software companies or even software-only companies. So I, I guess he was mostly right uh, at that point. So think about, for example, things like digital transformation. It sounds a bit buzzwordy and, and maybe overused, but if you take previously analog manual processes and somehow digitize them through the use of technology, that technology is now a potential attack factor. For, for bad actors, right? So if you think about banking apps, as an example, there's there's even things like policy directives now, like open banking, um, which, which I'm sure um, you've heard about and are, are, are aware of. So they're sort of forcing legacy banks to open up and integrate with, with newer fintech players. And all of this is happening through, through APIs. We also have you know, increased usage of public cloud and multi-cloud, which is largely API-driven. We have infrastructure automation, which happens to be on the back of APIs. We have things like citizen developers using low-code or no-code to to build custom mini-apps, all on the basis of standard APIs. We have SaaS application usage. So we think we will continue to see this increase for for the foreseeable future. Um, we also actually did some research together with uh, 451 Research, which suggests that organizations have, or let's say enterprise organizations, have about 15,000 APIs in use. And they're seeing a growth rate of over 200% in, in the last year. So if you, if you sort of take that, that, that sort of means from a cybersecurity perspective, this opens up new avenues of attack, right? So, so another thing that we looked at was a piece of research by Alyssa Knight, which is a, a former hacker. Um, so she looked at, you know, security issues in banks and cryptocurrency exchanges through the use of APIs. And, and she saw like all kinds of issues and, and sobering results. Like she tested 55 mobile applications, I believe. 
45 of them had hard-coded API keys and tokens, including usernames and passwords to, to third-party SaaS services. All of them were, were vulnerable to man-in-the-middle attacks. All of them had broken object-level authorization problems. All of them had broken authentication problems. And there was even you know, an issue with uh, supply chain or software supply chain in a sense that one of the third-party vendors that developed some of these apps reused vulnerable code in, in multiple of these of these banks. So yeah, this is this is becoming a serious uh, cybersecurity issue, and and we definitely need to talk about developers in adopting like API security best practices, or even just bring more general awareness to the general public about APIs and API security. Okay, yeah, and what you just mentioned there, it's very sobering. You know, especially just mentioning some of those some of those things that are happening and some of the vulnerabilities that are being exposed. And I think I read something today around um, a fine of one million dollars being recommended for the colonial pipeline debacle and hack and ransomware, all of that. Uh, I didn't get a chance to read it, but, you know, th there are definitely some stiff fines. Uh, out there, especially if if your company is found, you know, vulnerable as far as some type of vulnerability found within your software or your application, or it doesn't even have to be yours. It could actually be one that you integrate with one of your partners, right? If you guys are sharing data, right, especially via APIs. But you know what I what I want to find out from you, I guess, what is the main challenge, or maybe some of the challenges just associated with cybersecurity overall? I want to get your perspective on, on cybersecurity right now in this day and age. Yeah, for sure. So, so one of the issues that I see is that changes in technology adoption translate to changes in the tech surface potentially. Like we came from a, let's say, mainframe, like large centralized mainframe computing environment. We went over client server and now we're sort of in a almost completely distributed computing, partly on-premises, using the public cloud, maybe using public multiple clouds, um, using SaaS services. And all of these architectural types, they have a different risk profile. So it, it used to be about building a secure moat around your IT environment. But in this new world, that really doesn't work anymore. So it's more about zero trust now, which again has become a little bit buzzwordy, uh, if you will. But I think if you think about zero trust as trying to secure applications and data where they live, that's sort of the goal that, that we're going to be after, right? So um, because of that distributed nature, it has become you know, more difficult to fully understand the big picture when it comes to cybersecurity. All of these uh, disparate pieces are like creating logging information, event information, and seeing things only from their unique vantage point. So from a cyber perspective, the challenge is how can we take all of these, um, let's say, signals together um, because at that point, security really becomes a big data problem. You need to find like the proverbial needle in the haystack, so to, so to speak, or to filter out the right signal out of all of the noise. So what we're doing from a cyber perspective is we are building tools to try and automate you know, some of that. But I think we need to step back and understand what we're building uh, before we can think through that holistically. I mean, to, to some extent, if you look at it, we, we are maybe going backwards a little bit, or at least it feels like we're going backwards. Yeah. Like if you think about, it was, 
I think it was just 20 years ago where Bill Gates wrote a sort of now famous memo called the Trustworthy Computing Memo. Right, right. He sort of laid out to his developers, he said, like, instead of building new features, you should really prioritize security, right? So forget about developing, uh, you know, new buttons in your software. It's, It's supposed to be about building secure software now. And, and the idea was, he said, like, eventually people should perceive Microsoft software to be so fundamentally secure that a customer never even worries about it. But then the reality today is that Microsoft releases about a thousand vulnerability patches each and every year. And it's, it's not a thing against Microsoft, but it's more, it's more an indication of how complex things have become and how we've let this sort of get out of control from a, from a security perspective. Yeah. You know, that, that's a great point. And, you know, I guess it depends on as well the, because there's a lot of startups. I don't think I remember this many startup companies when I first started out back in like 1999 and the first 10 years on through, you know, Y2K in the 2000s, maybe up to 2006 or seven or eight. I think there was this, there's been this rise of startup companies, I guess, because it's easier now due to the rise of cloud and everything is so, so easy to spin up and it's so simple. And uh, I think I remember back in 99 when there were a lot of uh, dot com companies, right? Remember, remember those guys getting rich overnight? They would start a company up and some jumped off buildings when things didn't work too well. I mean, it was yep, yep, it was a yep. crazy time to be in. And right now we're in a crazy time. But what I what I really want to find out from you, I want to get your perspective here, Philip. And I want to find out, you know, exactly. It, do you think there is like any link between, let's say, API security and the big monster in the room, the big virtual monster in the room, ransomware? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go back to the to the beginning, we we both have a lot of background here, I guess, uh, Dimitris. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I, yeah. but I think in the case of of ransomware, um, bad actors will always try to use the path of least resistance. So for larger organizations, what we are seeing is they they still tend to leverage email phishing campaigns to get access to an organization's network. For smaller organizations like SMB type uh, organizations, we see that. Uh, remote desktop, like RDB, RDP abuse is sort of the the main way in. But the idea really is that if you look at APIs, like API misuse can can lead to things like leaked credentials or overexposure of information for for even you know normally authenticated users. And all of this can be used as a as a second step in gaining the privileged access that that these bad actors need to deploy ransomware and extort organizations. So I think it's fair to say that, you know, the bad guys, they typically understand the potential of newer technologies like APIs much, much faster than, you know, the general IT public does. And and for sure, they, they now have leveraged this as another attack surface to look after. You know, when you have to fight against ransomware, this is really another avenue that you need to uh, protect yourself from. If you think about things like uh, Log4Shell, which is a, a good example, like API servers that are vulnerable to, to Log4Shell, they expose a new attack surface uh, for attackers. So, so most organizations, they have limited visibility into their API inventory. They have no idea what the behavior of those APIs are. 
So this makes APIs a great target for, for threat actors. So if an attacker exploits the log for shell vulnerability to gain access to a system, then these APIs are capable of extending the attacker's reach and also extending the damage they can inflict. So as you mentioned before, like many businesses, they have trusted third-party APIs. They, have, they are interfacing with third-party systems and these may be exposed to things like log4shell vulnerabilities. So even if a business itself doesn't use the log4j framework for logging, third-party APIs increase that, that risk exposure. I think then another way to, to think about it is, you know, where is all your data stored? Because if we're talking about ransomware, it's about you know, encrypting or stealing that data and then trying to sell that data back to you. So it used to be on a centralized location, uh, think about that moat again. You're building a secure moat in your data center and after, and behind the moat is where you're storing all of your valuable data. But today it's in SaaS applications. It's in Office 365. It's in the public cloud. It's in, you know, it's in all of these, the separate pieces of software. So you need to understand how your data is being consumed, who has access to your data. You might be leaking sensitive data over APIs and you wouldn't even necessarily know about it. So we're in this split between doing things in a very traditional way, at least for a certain portion of, of let's say, the general user population. They also have like a sort of free-for-all when it comes to communication and, and sharing sharing data. And, and I think this will always be the case. Like one technology in enterprise IT typically does not fully replace another. We, we always end up needing to manage both. Like we still have centralized data somewhere and then we have data sitting in SaaS apps or in, in the public cloud. Like one example I can think of is Amazon S3. So Amazon S3 launched in 2006. I think from an API perspective, it's one of the most prolific and standardized storage APIs in the world, right, to date. Everybody that does anything with storage typically talks S3 or can talk to an S3 API. But then you have traditional banks, and when traditional banks were confronted with S3, they said, S3 APIs, we, we can't use that. Like our security controls are built around things like secure FTP. So if you want us to adopt like object storage, you're going to need to meet us halfway. So we then took AWS until 2018, but they finally did it. it took them in, you know, a good 12 years to release a managed secure FTP service for Amazon S3. And now banks mm -hmm. are consuming object storage on the okay. basis of S3. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're always going to be in this split between the new world and the old world, and we're going to have to protect uh, protect both. Yeah, you, you mentioned leaking data, I guess, via APIs. Uh -huh. is, is there, like, one piece of advice you can give the Gumbo listeners just around maybe a configuration, misconfiguration issue? Or what, what are some of the ways that... that um, people leak data and, and they're not quite sure that they are doing it. Yeah, from our perspective, purely on APIs, what we see is you have to first build an inventory of what you have. So you have to understand. So the way that APIs communicate could be from a client device, maybe even a mobile application uh, to a backend service. Like I'm ordering a, a ticket to go to a concert, for example, something like that. Uh, but it's also more and more B2B integration a partner organization consuming your API to exchange data, for example. And if you don't have a full inventory, if you don't have full visibility of those APIs, you can't really understand what type of data you're exchanging. 
So what we typically see is that 30% of APIs are, are unknown. Uh, so if we go to a customer and we do an inventory, they, they, they typically miss about 30 to 40% of the APIs that they're actually using. And they have no good visibility about what type of data is being exchanged there. So we typically see things like PII data being exchanged over you know, unauthenticated APIs, like somebody's exchanging social security numbers over a web API externally, and they didn't even know about it. So, so first, we have to build a full inventory uh, of what you have. And then once you understand what you're doing, then you can start to, uh, to lock it down. But, but this is much more you know, prevalent than, than you think. <laughs> like a lot of organizations are running into this issue. You know, it, it makes me think about, you, you know, you mentioned the business side and, you know, also we're talking about the old world meeting the new world. And when I think of the old world, I think of like physical infrastructure, hardware, actually physical servers and routers and, you know, network equipment and, you know, individuals still have that. And I guess primarily, you know, the public cloud vendors, they have um, large footprints of, you know, physical infrastructure. Uh, and IT infrastructure and all of that. So I guess the question is, is, is there a difference in IT infrastructure API usage and business API usage? Yeah, yeah. And this is a this is typically a misunderstood uh, piece of the puzzle. So we mainly talk to customers who have some level of in-house development. Could be mobile apps, you know, partner integrations, as I mentioned, portals, stuff like that. So they own the APIs or they're using maybe a third-party developer and that third-party developer can, can take appropriate action in case of, of API security issues. And on the other end, as you said, there's you know, vendor APIs, infrastructure APIs that allow automation of, of processes. Uh, so we need to look at those differently in, in that business-driven APIs are under the organization's control and third-party APIs not so much, right? So there's only so much you can do if you find a issue with a third-party API. You can go to Dell or to HPE or to whoever and you know ask them to to fix something, but it's it's not going to be uh, an easy lift. So for those, we need to think about things like risk scores. So if I'm an organization and I'm consuming these external APIs, maybe in the cloud or from a SaaS vendor, let's say. Can I then determine how trustworthy these, these APIs are? They also have different stakeholders, and each stakeholder has a different set of metrics to you know, measure success, uh, but also a different set of tools to design, develop, manage, and, and secure APIs. And then you have sort of APIs in between. Think about Kubernetes, for example. So is Kubernetes a developer tool? Is it an infrastructure tool? Do they expose developer APIs? Do they expose infrastructure APIs? Who owns them? It's probably all of the above, right? So all of them need to be managed somehow. And, and, and again, this increases the potential complexity in understanding what's going on in your environment. And then you need to apply specialized knowledge to secure them. So there's definitely a difference between IT infrastructure API usage and business API usage when thinking about how should we secure that. You first have to determine like whose responsibility is it and then apply the correct security controls. Yeah, so you, you mentioned responsibility. And so I, I always think about now that I'm, you know, that's, that's part of my world now, just on SaaS data protection and this thing around shared responsibility model with the, with the cloud vendor. You know, they're responsible for protecting the infrastructure that they're housing 
uh, all of the data and they're running the actual application in, but you are responsible as a consumer and maybe as a business for your own data, making sure that your data is protected, making sure you're backing your own data up, making sure you're locking down your own environment and everyone are using MFA and RBAC and, you know, two-factor authentication, you know, all of these different things. The question is, I guess maybe, you know, looking at just the holistic picture of IT security and security overall, whose responsibility is it anyway? Because it's still some confusion out there. Oh, if I if I purchase uh, Microsoft 365 and just, you know, all of their suite of applications. So everything is fine and dandy. You know, we're, we're safe. Microsoft is, is safe. But, you know, what, what do you think about that? What, what do you think the responsibility is just from, from, a, uh, from a vendor perspective, from those who are actually consuming those particular products? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I agree. So the reality is that we have a lot of stakeholders. Um, so if you talk about things like ransomware, for example, like ransomware, that has become clear over time that this really should become a C-level or even a board-level type conversation because it has the potential to, you know, destroy a, a complete organization essentially. So it rightfully needs to be understood as a risk at the board level or or at least at, at the C-level. We're also now seeing like in the US, the SEC push for boardroom cyber expertise. So they're requiring or they're proposing to, you know, require US public companies or the boardroom members to disclose like their cybersecurity expertise. And I think that is because the reality is that, you know, the marketplace has shifted in this manner, like everything is becoming digital. If you look at where economic growth is coming from, which is, you know, what a board is uh, dealing with, essentially, uh, it's coming from digitization. It's mostly driven by digital technologies. So it only makes sense uh, to give that the appropriate level of attention. And then from our perspective on, on API security specifically, um, we also see a role for, for developers. So we should help them think about security much earlier in the development lifecycle and help them shift left. So the idea is, if you think about the development lifecycle, it's typically like six stages, and we want to shift left or earlier in that development lifecycle as early as possible to integrate these types of conversations and tools into like the design phase, the development phase, the testing phase. And to do that, I think you need to understand their existing workflows and integrate, for example, with like the way that they operate CICD pipelines. Like nothing will spook a developer more if you say, oh, I bought a new off-the-shelf piece of software. It has this really nice UI that you have to log into get ready to use your mouse and click on a lot of stuff, they will be like, no, we're not going to adopt that. Like we have our workflow, everything is set up to operate as smoothly as possible. If you can bake security into that existing process somehow, I think we're going to be uh, walking down uh, a good path together. But that's that's sort of the real, the real challenge, I think. So I think holistically, who is responsible? Um, it's like everybody is responsible. It starts with awareness from end users. It starts with responsibility at the board level. And even when we talk about applications, like developers should also be held responsible in delivering secure or as secure as possible uh, code. Yeah, I like your comment there. Everyone is responsible, you know, so everyone has to do their own part. 
And, you know, education is a huge part of that, you know, just being educated around normal things, simple things like, you know, not clicking on an email, you know, for phishing attempts. And there's so many different types of ways that that hackers, you know, are able to get, gain access into uh, these particular different, you know, companies' networks. And they'll they'll sit there and, you know, they'll be, you know, running inside of the network and scoping and scanning and just finding where the crown jewels are. They're, they'll sit there for months, you know, sometimes three, six, nine months just sitting there waiting for the right opportunity to uh, actually go in and encrypt your data or do some type of event that is not going to look good for, for your company and your organization. But let's round it out and see if we can wrap up maybe with some future futuristic outlook on where do you think security is headed and also, one thing I want to mention is, do you think AI and artificial intelligence will play a, a key role in the advancement of security today? Yeah, yeah. I think like if you look at the amount of, of signals that we need to process in, in fighting cyber crime combined with the lack of personnel, I think it will be inevitable that we will start to lean on things like machine learning and artificial intelligence more and more. Um, Mostly to augment, I think, what we as people can, can do manually. I, I recently read an article that said, I think there's about three and a half million job openings in the U.S. alone for cybersecurity personnel. So, so we really have to figure out how can we close that gap between you know, organizations' requests for cybersecurity skills and what we can do with the help of tools, leveraging things like AI. I think where we're heading is like if you look at the number of startups, in, in cybersecurity, you sort of get a sense of the massive challenges that we're trying to trying to overcome. Like more and more of these new entrants, they are also leaning on machine learning and AI as, as supporting technologies, right? So I think the real challenge becomes finding the golden thread, if you will, and connecting all of these signals together so you get useful insights and maybe even automated responses uh, further down the line. So for this you either have to think about building a platform. If you can build something that provides a base of information that you can then leverage in multiple different ways, um, like in our case, what can API communication tell us about the overall state of your environment? It can tell you things about uh, data. It can tell you things about applications. It can tell you things about users because a lot of communication is API-based uh, today. Or can I integrate tools from different vendors together? So if I find something, how do I take a piece of insight from one tool and leverage it in another tool, like in a seam tool or in a sort tool, for example, so the appropriate person can then pick it up and, and run with it? Um, so I think that's going to be more and more important is the understanding that it's not about individual point solutions. It's about building a platform and then connecting these platforms together somehow to uh, increase or, or augment what they can do individually uh, by having them connected together. And again, that's going to happen on the basis of APIs because that's, that's simply the way how we connect these things together. So yeah, we have to be wary that we secure them in, in the right way there as well. Yeah, it sounds like API is the gateway into the data. You know, it's, uh, it, it just makes me think about, I think it's Thomas Friedman in his book, The World is Flat. And how um, every every organization and every person is connected with this thing called technology. Um, 
you know, one one thing that I I want to I want to ask, and it's it's not a technical question, but I want to find out from you, uh, Philip, what what are you reading these days? And it sounds like you're reading some of the same things that I'm reading. But you you have any um, any book recommendations or newsletters or you know Substacks, you know any any information you can you can provide to kind of share how how you uh, you gain your uh, your your knowledge and information. Um, yeah, sure. I'm a I'm a a big a big reader. Uh, so uh, I I travel with my Kindle everywhere. Uh, so I, I do read a lot of books. Uh, one of the the latest ones that I'm I'm reading is was actually recommended by uh, an old friend of ours, Chris Wall. Uh, it's called uh, This is How They Tell Me the World Ends. So it's about uh, these um, cybersecurity tools uh, or or cybersecurity attack tools uh, I, I should say and the way that they're pro- proliferated uh, around the world so that's that's definitely a good uh, a good recommendation if you want to read some of that uh, some of that history uh, super interesting book uh, and then the other one that I would recommend uh, is a book on Apple because I you know I happen to be an Apple fanboy nothing I can do about that <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a new book on 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 Apple about Tim Cook's relationship with John Ive John, John Ivy, uh, like uh, uh, I think it's called After Steve or something like that. It's a it's a really interesting read about uh, where Apple is these days. So uh, it's not cybersecurity related, but let's say it's IT adjacent, but a yeah. very interesting read nonetheless. Okay, I appreciate that. And you you recently started a newsletter yourself, right? Or is it something you've always been doing? That's right. So I. Uh, started a newsletter called uh, the API Security Newsletter. Uh, so I'm leveraging uh, Twitter's uh, platform for that, uh, or Revue, uh, company they purchased a couple of years ago. Um, so I have a bi-weekly newsletter that I that I publish. So if you go to my uh, Twitter page, uh, so twitter.com slash Philip with an F, uh, then you can subscribe to the to the bi-weekly newsletter, and I promise there's like no spam or no no commercials in there. It's it's purely API security related news. Um, so the idea is to bring a little bit more API security awareness um, in general, and and not so much promote what we are doing specifically. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Any any final plug or parting? message that you would like to leave for the gumbo listeners here philip yeah i think it's always a good idea to try and really understand like um in in my case uh we both let's say we both used to work for a data management company i now got into api security more recently i didn't know that much about api security before but the idea is it really underpins a lot of what we're doing um so i think um even if you're not interested in in you know purchasing a specific solution go out there and, and have a read about uh, api management api security and and how these things are really interconnected uh, i think it's gonna uh, teach you a lot about uh, modern system design as well awesome well i do truly appreciate you appearing on data protection gumbo philip and it's been a pleasure having you on the show and until next time We'll uh, have a chat with you again in the future. Thanks, Dr. Majors. Looking forward to it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, 
Have a fantastic week.